Would you pause and have a word of prayer with me? Lord, like Samuel of old, we want to to say to you just what the ladies have communicated through music. We want to say, Lord, speak to us today. It would be of no use whatsoever for us to gather in this place unless you spoke and revealed a glimpse of your glory and you began transforming and changing us into the likeness of your Son, Jesus. And so today, Lord, we would be like moist clay before you and ask that you would shape and mold and you would purify out all the impurities and the things in our life that are not according to your ways, that you would change us and transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So now, Lord, with Bibles that are open on our lap and minds and ears that are open, listening for the voice of God, we pray that you will speak to our hearts, that your word would be our rule, that your spirit would be our teacher, and that our greatest concern as we've gathered together today, Lord, is that your name would be glorified and lifted up. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way in me and in all of us until you perfect us to be like your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray together. Amen. Last week we started a series of messages entitled uh, The Church 360 Degrees, and uh, that's my way of helping us uh, to understand that we were, what we're seeking to do during the month of August is to look at the church from various vantage points and perspectives and to understand more clearly what it is that Christ has called us as a body of believers, a group that we have come under the name and the label of First Alliance Church of Erie, Pennsylvania. What is it that Christ has called us to be and to do as his church in this community. Now, last week we started off by talking about what it meant to be a a people, a body, a fellowship that was fully committed to biblical instruction and to, to spiritual growth. And our watchword last week was the word grow. Well, this week we're going to look at what it means to be a people, not only a people of the book, the Bible, but to be a people of community. And whereas our word last week was grow, our word for today is the word connect. That we are a people who believe in biblical community. One of the most important books uh, in, uh, about American society in the last 40 years may just be the Pulitzer Prize winning book written by Robert Bella called Habits of the Heart. I don't know if you've read it. I read it during um, some study time away. and It was very helpful in providing insight into the conditions that exist in our world and in particular in our Western American society. Habits of the Heart by Robert Bella. And in one section of Bella's book, he points out that instead of living in genuine community, that the model for group life in our American society today is what Bella calls lifestyle enclaves. Lifestyle enclaves. In other words, whereas authentic community emphasizes an interdependent, that is a meshing together of relationships across 
social, economic, racial, political lines. Uh, lifestyle enclaves on the other side of the coin has to do with our desire to surround ourselves with other people who are like us. People that we feel that can help us to fill, fulfill our goal, our comfort, our enjoyment. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that for everyone that thinks Bella's painting a very discouraging picture about American society here, there's another person out there that thinks that lifestyle enclaves are a very good thing. I recently Googled the word community and lifestyle enclaves. It's amazing. Do you ever spend much time on Google.com? It's amazing the information that's out there. It's actually overwhelming. Well, I put in, I typed in community and lifestyle enclaves, and I came across a number of advertisements for gated, what has become known as gated communities. Listen to what this one ad said about one particular gated community. It's right up there on the screen. A lifestyle enclave is the perfect, self-contained, integrated neighborhood offering an escape from a world of chaos into an organized and well-managed world, insulating residents of the enclave from the inconvenience, confusion, aggravation, and messiness of normal public life. Now, I, I will uh, I'll forgo the temptation to say how many want to sign up for that, because I'm afraid that maybe there would be far too many hands there that would go up. Another lifestyle enclave advertisement made the point even clearer, saying that while real communities are diverse and have messy relationships, lifestyle enclaves are like clubs where all the members share a common interest and exclude others who do not share that interest. Now, what's interesting to me is that as I looked at the advertisements for these enclaves, they still use the word community to describe themselves. Somewhere in their name or their description, they will very uh, over outrightly use the, the word community. But in effect, if you look at them under a microscope, what you will discover is that these lifestyle enclaves are not communities at all. They are exclusive bands of individuals that are pursuing a certain lifestyle, and they are held together, Bella says, they are held together by the weakest of ties. Now, what I'm going to say next may offend some. I hope it doesn't. I, it's not meant to offend. But it seems to me that one example of these lifestyle enclaves are some of the retirement communities that have sprung up across our nation, particularly in Florida and Arizona. And for any of you snowbirds who live, live here in the north in the summer and go to the Florida or Arizona, this is not meant to offend you, but it seems to me that there's been this goal among people today that our goal is to work hard until we're 57 or 58 or 62 or 65 or whenever it is that we're able financially to retire. And our goal is to pack up shop and move to Florida or to Arizona. They wait for years till they're able to move to the south to enjoy a particular kind of lifestyle with others just like them. Now, listen, no emails tomorrow. I'm not saying that everybody who lives in a retirement community is in a lifestyle enclave. But some of those gated communities are exactly that. 
I mean, the biggest decision they have to make all day is, where are we going for supper? Now, this is a very real cultural shift. We are moving from communities to enclaves. And the reason that this concerns me so much is that it's happening in the church, too. We have in churches today more of a gated community mindset than we do an authentic community mindset. The biblical community that God has called us to be. You see, God did not call us to create a lifestyle enclave where we're all the same, we look the same, we dress the same, we kind of a cookie cutter kind of thing. He did not design us or create His church to be a lifestyle enclave to be devoted to the comfort and the protection and the encouragement of those who live behind the fence. That's us. He didn't give birth to the church so we could have a community for ourselves perspective, but so we would embrace myself for the community, not myself away from the community, but myself for the community value of His kingdom. So what I'd like to do with the rest of the time that's been allotted to me this morning is to look at the heart of what real community looks like and what it's about. And I want to do it against the same backdrop scripturally that we used last week as we came together from the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to that passage that Keith read a few moments ago from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you'd prefer, it's going to be projected on the screen in a moment. And what you have here in, in Dr. Luke's record of the early church is he's speaking about the church following the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we're told in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, that these early believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, home, or broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And as a result of their, their spirit-empowered life and activity together, look what happens in the latter part of verse 47. It tells us, and the Lord. It wasn't their cutesy program, programming or their strategic thinking, but the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 2 is our window into what was going on in the early church, and it paints such an incredible picture of authentic biblical community, and I believe sets the standard for which you and I are called as believers in this 21st century America, the standard by which we are to measure our own authentic community together. This early church was not an enclave of upwardly mobile Christians, believers who separated themselves along social or economic or racial or political lines. Instead, what you see here in Acts chapter 2 is this is a group of people, an amazing community, where men and women, Greeks and Jews, 
rich and poor gathered together for, as we said last week, for worship, a devotion to biblical instruction, for fellowship, breaking the bread together, for prayer, worship again, and for an expression to share their faith in Christ. This amazing community, this diverse community, was being the people of God, this royal priesthood that Peter speaks of, this holy nation, right in the midst of a larger community. Now, there are five important characteristics of what real biblical community can look like. I don't have time to go through all five, but I've chosen two of the more important ones this morning. The first characteristic that I think characterizes the biblical community that these early Christians enjoyed is this, that their community was marked by a devotion to one another. Their community was marked by a devotion to one another. In Acts chapter 1, 46 and 242, Dr. Luke shares how this community of believers devoted themselves to meeting together. Luke uses a word there to be devoted to, or the word devotion, he uses a word there that refers to a binding promise or a pledge that they made a commitment to one another to meet together for prayer, for instruction, for worship, for fellowship. And so with devotion, they pledged themselves both to God and they pledged themselves to one another as spiritual brothers and sisters. I want to stop for a moment and ask the question. Don't answer it out loud, but I would ask you to answer it in your heart. How devoted, how committed, how pledged are you both to your commitment to God, and your commitment to the other people in this church. It seems to me that we live in a day and age where commitment is very low, where people are not committed either to the Lord or to a body of believers. We have more of a consumer mentality now in the church today, and church leaders are very well aware of this. The consumer mentality says that if the church doesn't have what I need or what I offer, then I'm going to go somewhere else and find another church that will give me this kind of cafeteria plan of things that I prefer. I don't like Golden Corral, so I'm going to go to Old Country Buffet. I don't like First Alliance, so I'm going to go to Second Baptist. And we have a consumer mentality, and it's about me, and, and, and our, our commitment to the community is, well, as long as the church is meeting my needs, then I'm going to be happy there, but the moment that the church stops meeting my needs, then my commitment is over with. I'm going somewhere else where somebody cares about me, and, and they're going to meet my needs. Now, obviously, in a biblical community that is marked by devotion, Uh, the relationships in that kind of community are going to be very different from the ways that they often work in our culture today. In a lifestyle enclave, the commitment is very low in terms of relationships. If it meets my needs, I stay. If it doesn't meet my needs, I move on. But the kind of community that I believe that God is calling us to is a commitment to one another such that I am committed to you, and you are committed to me, and we are committed to one another, and we are all committed 
to follow, as we sang this morning, we are all committed to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as the captain of our souls and the Lord of the church. I want to make sure that your commitment to this church is not based on me or another pastor or a worship leader or because you like the springs and the cushions on the pews or you like a particular teacher or a program. I want to make sure that your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ You've pledged to the Lord and you've pledged to this body. I'm with this group of believers and I'm seeking to be a part of this community and help move the body of Christ forward in this community. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if that's your level of commitment, but I believe that's the level of commitment that we all have to have in order to be what God has called us to be as a church. Amen? That's the way devotion works. It's a powerful force when you get pledged and bound to one another that way. Building community together. Not just because God has called us to it, but but because He's created us for community. It's why the Apostle Paul calls us in Romans 12.10 to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. You see, I believe that God has hardwired you and me to live in community. It was the great uh, German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who in his book, Life Together, if you've not read that little book, you should read it. Most of us have read The Cost of Discipleship by Bonhoeffer, but you should read his book, Life Together. And in that book, he says, Bonhoeffer makes the claim that if you cannot live in community, you are not to be trusted. If you can't live in community, you are not to be trusted. Paul calls us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. God has made you and me for community. Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in South Barrington, says that God has wired us to know and to be known, to love and to be loved, to serve and to be served, to celebrate and to be celebrated. And yet every study in our culture today points to an increasing sense of isolation and loneliness in our society today. And I'm not just talking about those who are residents in nursing homes. Because it seems to me that there's a lot of isolation that exists in people who live in college dormitories and crowded cities and in the suburban sprawl in which you and I live. The reality is this that we are facing an ever-shrinking circle of friends. And it seems to be getting worse and worse. A study conducted by Duke University and the University of Arizona found that the number of people who said they had no real confidant, that no best friend in life, soared from 10% in 1985 to nearly 25% in 2004. That means that one out of four people on the street says, I have no one in my life that I can confide in. I have no one that I can go to. I have no one that I can lean on when I need encouragement or a listening ear. One in every four people is saying, there's no one in my life that I can really talk to. 19% said they had only one confidant, confidant who was often their spouse. Over the past 25 years, attendance at local club meetings is down 58%. Having friends over is down 45%. And eating together as a family is down 33%. 
Often in, in marital counseling, one of the questions that I'll ask a couple or a family who's, who's struggling is, how many times a week does your family sit around the table and share a meal? It is absolutely shocking to me to find how seldom families are gathering together around the dinner table just for dinner and a conversation. Our sense of community is breaking down. Harvard professor Robert Putnam wrote a book entitled Bowling Alone, in which he talks about the decline in community life in America over the past four decades. And whereas people four decades ago uh, visited uh, one another more frequently, had friends over for dinner, dinner, got together to play table games, no longer are people doing that sort of thing. And the impact of this is that we are disconnected from one another. We live in our gated communities where you hit the remote, it opens the gate, you go, you hit the second remote button, it lifts the garage door, you pull your, your SUV into the garage, you hit the remote again, it brings the garage door down, and you don't even come out until the next morning when you hit the remote to lift the garage door up, to head out, to, to hit the remote, to get out of the gated community, to go out to, to work. And the same thing is repeated over and over and over, and we are living in isolation from one another. And so we are in the church. Lee Strobel tells of a former colleague of his when he was a journalist at the Chicago Tribune. Uh, his colleague's name was Marla Paul. And uh, uh, some years ago, she confessed in a print in an article that she wrote in the Chicago Tribune that she was a lonely individual. And this is what Marla Paul wrote. She said, this loneliness saddens me. How did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have real friends? It seems as though every woman's friendship quota had been filled and they're no longer accepting applicants. And then she concluded her article with these words. I recently read my daughter, Han Christian Anderson's The Ugly Duckling. I felt an immediate kinship with this bird who flies from place to place looking for creatures with whom he belongs. He eventually finds them. I hope I will, too. I'm wondering today, might there be individuals who are seated in the pew next to you or in front of you or behind you? Someone who can relate to the ugly duckly, looking for a place to call home, looking for a place to belong, looking for a place to be connected to other people. It's amazing the number of people that I meet today who are disconnected. And what I'm finding is that women are doing a better job at being connected than men. And most men don't have friends, real friends that they can count on, spend time with. One survey indicated that 90% of the male population in America lacked a true friend. 90%. God has created us as social beings and we need to have meaningful contact with others. We were born with a need to relate, to be in close proximity together. We need community, authentic community. Second characteristic of community that I see in Acts chapter 2 is that it was marked by a oneness of heart and mind. A oneness of heart and mind. 
If you would turn for a moment, keep your finger in Acts chapter 2, but turn over to Acts chapter 4 for a moment. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Talking here again about the community of believers there. In verse 32 of chapter 4, it says that all the believers, the followers of Jesus, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. They were one in heart and mind. Now, we've already seen that one of the characteristics is a devotion to one another, to living together in brotherly and sisterly love, devotion to God and devotion to one another. But now we read that another characteristic of their community was that there was a oneness, there was a unity of heart and mind that was in their midst, a deep commitment to oneness, togetherness, and harmony. Now, what you need to remember is that in a community... It is a very group of diverse people. Not like a lifestyle enclave where everybody kind of has this cookie-cutter mindset, but in a real community, it is diverse. I think First Alliance Church is becoming that way, but one of the things that concerns me a bit is the lack of racial diversity within our body of believers. And I believe that, that we need to be praying that if there are hindrances or barriers or things that are keeping us from being more racially diverse, that God would pinpoint those things and help us to understand how we can overcome those barriers. I believe that if you look around, too, that there's a lot of, um, shall we say, uh, social or cultural things that, that, that maybe there's not enough diversity there as well. I mean, most of us are middle-class folks. There aren't too many people in our church who, who are living at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale. And I'm wondering, are there things that we do that prevent us from reaching people who, who are at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale? They are worth no less than those of us who make 32 or 35 or 50,000 or 75,000 a year. They are worth no less to God. What are we doing that, that makes us not diverse enough in that sense of our community? How can we overcome those barriers? What makes people feel uncomfortable? We are a community of believers, and we are diverse. We think differently, we talk differently, we have different perspectives. And it's never quite an easy thing to get everybody together on the same page. But what comes with authentic community is also a commitment to one another that says, despite our differences, despite our disagreements, that we are one in Christ. And we're going to follow the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the unifier. Jesus is the equalizer. Jesus is the one who brings us together. It is around the banner of Jesus. And I think that this was the, the genius that A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary, Missionary Alliance, had as God brought him in the late 19th century to, to begin to bring together an alliance of believers who were committed to the deeper life 
and to missionary outreach. I believe that this was the genius of his strategy, that we're not going to focus on doctrinal differences, that we may have different approaches to some doctrinal ideas, but we are going to unify ourselves around the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Simpson says, Jesus is our all-sufficient one. And when we lift Jesus up, He will bring and preserve the unity of the faith. Now, I believe that still works in 21st century America. How about you? I believe that when we lift up Jesus as our Savior and our Sanctifier and our Healer and our Coming King, that He will bring unity, unity and a community of believers together. Now, while we are different, there are some things that are, that are going to rub us the wrong way. In fact, in some ways, we are kind of like a community of porcupines. We sometimes stick and jab one another. And there will be things, because you see it one way and somebody else sees it another way, that the, the enemy of our souls could use as a, a beachhead to establish division or discord in the body of Christ. But I want to say to you that I think that as believers in this body, because we are devoted to God and devoted to one another, that we should not allow those kinds of things to divide us or to separate us. We need to be united under the banner of Christ. Not every person for himself or herself, but we are in this community for the glory of God seeking to become more like Jesus, committed to spiritual growth, and reaching our community for Christ. C.S. Lewis wrote, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, He works on us through each other. You help purify me. You help me with my impatience. You help me with some of those carnal tendencies because there are sometimes I could get really irritated. I, I, I chafe against that. I ask the Holy Spirit to help me in that. And in that, I grow in the Lord. And I'm committed to you. And you need to be committed to, to each other despite our differences and our different perspectives, and see that Christ can work in us as we live together in community. One of my favorite pictures of this early community was from Paul's letter to the Colossians, where he writes, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in unity. Oneness of heart and mind. A devotion to one another. I need to wrap my thoughts up this morning. Last week I talked to you about some of the changes that we are making this fall, in our adult Bible fellowships. Starting this fall, we've renamed them community life groups. And these community life groups are committed to instruction in the Word of God and to biblical community. 
And whereas I told you that last week that only 18% of the adults in our church currently participate in an adult Bible fellowship, our goal for this next year is to increase participation in community life groups by 100%. That is, that 36% of you would begin to participate in a community life group. Now, these are going to take place not only on Sunday. At first, they're going to be on Sundays. But we have some that are looking to moving to a Sunday night. We have some that are looking to, to meet midweek. And we're hoping that you will get involved in a community life group. Beyond that, because of our commitment to community and to each other, I'm hoping that you will see fit to get involved in a small group as well. A group of 10 to 12 people that gather together, maybe bi-weekly, some groups meet weekly, to, to pray, to fellowship, to spur each other on to Christian life, and that you will, if you aren't already, that you'll get involved in a small group. And as God's church, a family of diverse people who've experienced the love of Christ, that in our community life groups and our small groups, that we'll learn to love God and love one another, and then together we will love the world that God loves too. So if you're in a small group or in an ABF, my encouragement is stick with it, grow with it, be committed and devoted to that group of people. If you're not in one of those groups, my encouragement is you make a commitment that this fall I'm going to get involved. I'm going to sign up and be a part of a community life group. I'm going to sign up and be a part of a small group at First Alliance. And I believe that as we stay interdependent, not developing enclaves of similar people, but communities of diverse people, as we are interdependent on one another, that God will bless us, and as He did with the early church, the Lord will add to our number daily the number of people being saved. I believe this is a timeless principle that we need to employ. And I'm encouraging you to connect, connect with other believers. And the two primary ways that you can do that are this fall through a community life group or through a small group. And if you're not involved in one of those or both of those, I would encourage you to make movement in that direction this fall. At the very least, I hope today something that I've said will cause you, will nudge you to at least begin to pray about that kind of involvement. This is Jesus' plan. And I believe that it still works today. Commitment to the Word of God. Commitment to biblical community. To grow and to connect. Next week when we come together, we're going to look at another, yet another commitment. A commitment to share the hope that is in us through Jesus Christ. Would you stand and let's have a word of prayer together.